Thanks to FreshBooks for supporting the Apple Bits XL. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try for free for 30 days, no catch and no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash applebits and enter applebits with a Z in the how did you hear about us section to get started today. All right, let's get to the show. We back. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL. Brian Song here, your host, doing the most. Let me tell you, we just came back from CES 2020 in Las Vegas. My tank was running low. I needed a little recharge. You got to understand if you've seen all the content that I've been pumping out. I still have another video that I'm going to throw out there, but we are fresh out of CES. We're going to talk about all of that and maybe how Apple connects to some of the things or the big trends that were announced there. But this is, again, episode 103. Thank you so much for supporting the show. A little order of business. There are two ways that you can be a part of this. First of all, number one, call in. All you got to do is record a voice memo and then send it to applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebitsshow with a Z. Send your name, where you're from, what you want to talk about. We have calls today. I've been catching up because we had a lot of interviews and kind of special episodes before the end of the year, but we will get to calls today and continue to please call in and just be a part of it because you add so much texture to this show. And another thing, support this show. Starting at $2 a month, you can go to patreon.com slash Tong. I'm completely independent. There are big benefits to doing that. It goes to different higher levels, 5, 10, 25, 100. You get rewards, you get early access to content, and also the biggest thing here, dun, 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 an ad-free version of the show. So you don't hear any of the ads, you don't hear any of the stuff, you just get right to it. So let's jump into this CES 2020 where the big trends of where tech is going from all these major companies happens, and I saw a lot of cool things that I really liked. What was the biggest theme, though, that excited me? Honestly, It was foldables, and I know some people are like, come on, that's a gimmick, But and some people, I think a lot of people in the tech, the people that are using them, we know that it is still a first-generation device, but it's exciting because specifically at CES, we saw so many manufacturers put out prototypes or models of these things, and you can just see that, yes, not this year, maybe arguably not even next year. It's not ready for prime time, but maybe three or four years down the road, it will be. What's the biggest benefit? If you had an iPhone right now or any phone and you were able to fold it in half and it looked just as slick and it was slimmer than what you have today or smaller form factor, you would probably use that. But we showed we saw a lot of tablet concepts, a lot of laptop concepts from big companies, not small, weird Asian brands that you've never heard of, Lenovo, Dell. TCL and the hardware is not only being developed the software is there we want we know that these will be running Windows 10 X right now Windows doesn't support it us natively but Windows 10 X will be able to handle the dual screen we know the Samsung Galaxy Fold we've seen all the other folding concepts but you really got a sense that the companies are really behind this and it's going to happen and then I see all these concepts I see this trend I get really excited And then I think, look, these companies are going to be dabbling in it for about three or four years. I think, quite honestly, Samsung has the lead, at least from the mainstream collective's eyeballs right now with their Samsung Fold. We know the Fold 2 will be better, even though they had hiccups. Yes, Motorola, I mean, $1,500 for a 
a phone size. That's expensive, but it is cool, but it still is really expensive. The thing is, all these companies are going to be hustling. They're going to be developing this. They're going to be kind of streamlining it. Maybe they do get the jump on Apple, but it always feels like it's just up to Apple to see what they do, then kind of fine-tune it, perfect it, mold it in their own way. And then when Apple releases it, then it becomes more of this mainstream device. And there has been no indication that Apple's really have any type of foldable that's going to be ready anytime soon. But I think it's an area to really watch and just kind of more pay attention to it year by year to see how it grows and gets better because it was, to me, one of the most exciting trends that I saw at CES that is actually applicable and something that I think that we will all eventually use in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a more of a mini portable, everyone's complaining about, well, what about typing on it? How will I get used to typing on a tablet? I I think, honestly, people already are in. We got used to typing on a phone without buttons. I think in the long run, we can get used to typing on some of a tablet form factor laptop without buttons as well. So that was the coolest thing that I saw that I really thought had the most steam and energy behind it to be a product that we'll actually see in the future. We also know 8K was everywhere. I will tell you, 8K looks damn good. But none of us need an 8K TV anytime soon. The reality is that there is no 8K content. There's not even an 8K Blu-ray player out there. I remember when 4K first came out and it was really new. Sony had offered this like server, this cylindrical box that could pull from Sony's library. And some movies were in 4K. I think the original Spider-Man or or the um, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man was available in 4K. They were like maybe four or five movies. Hey, at least there was some content at the time. Reality is there's no content. The only stuff that we see right now in 8K is some YouTube 8K content that the TV manufacturers, multiple ones said, hey, we are talking to YouTube to work directly with them to stream true 8K to us, but that's not even there. So we don't have mainstream studio movies. We don't have any physical media and even YouTube content isn't there. There is no con- there's no an over the air antenna 8K content. There is no media to support this other than these beautiful displays where I can see the hair on an animal even at a higher quality than I can today. They look amazing. I would like one down the road and when I say down the road, jeez, maybe let's say, what, five years from now? It's going to come down to when will we see 8K gaming. That'll probably be the first thing that triggers this because that's really what got me to jump on board with 4K. Once there were enough gaming games in 4K, I'm like, okay, let's do this. But it was still amazing just to see the technology there. I remember when they showed it off, I believe maybe three or four years ago, it was great. It looks even better, quite honestly, but you know, don't don't get an 8K TV now, even though they're out there, because not only is there no content there, you've got to imagine that over time, there's going to be new technologies that make the 8K look even better. Because remember, we had 4K, and then we had stuff like Dolby Vision and HDR that made the images look even better. The technology gets better. So we're, we're a long ways away from there. Obviously, Apple is not playing in the 8K space as well. Right before CES, I also did an episode about the smart home with Patrick Coleman, our friend from Future Automation and Design, which a lot of you loved, and we have some calls about that. But man, CES 2020 shows you how much Apple is trailing 
even more, my goodness, Alexa? I hope I didn't set off your devices. Amazon's platform is everywhere. They touted that their the Amazon Alexa platform is now on over 100,000 smart home devices. We saw more of them, including demos with beds and cars, Instapots, motorcycle helmets, even a big push, which was kind of weird, but I get it, the electric toothbrush. There was a lot of energy and attention around the electric toothbrush being smart. Oral-B has Alexa plugged into their toothbrush. You got to be kidding me. This is, this is getting crazy. Google Assistant added a whole bunch of new features, scheduling new actions like you can tell it to turn off your TV at 9 p.m. So you can specifically schedule things, turn on the coffee maker at blank. And that, that was really cool. You can leave digital post-it notes so that other people that maybe are looking at the Google um, Hub and they see it on screen. You can leave post-it notes for people. You can create a speed dial of household contacts for everyone to use. So think of it like a quick access, maybe six to 10 contacts that anyone can access at any time. You know, Google Assistant trails Amazon, but it's still, in my opinion, a little smarter. It's just not as prevalent. Uh, but you know, you you also have the privacy issues of how you want to use these things. Some people are more than happy with Siri, but I'm telling you right now that you saw how hard when when we thought the lead was already big enough with Amazon and Google versus Apple, it got even bigger. And I just don't see unless Apple releases a cheap HomePod type device that I talked about in the last episode. I just don't see them catching up anytime soon, anytime soon. And this gap feels like it's getting bigger. And I say that every year at CES, but again, the gap feels like it's getting bigger. Another fun thing at CES, concept cars. Uh, these are not gonna come out anytime soon, but I, I recommend you check them out online if you're a junkie about the stuff. Mercedes had an Avatar-themed car straight out of Pandora where there was no steering wheel. There was like this rubberized hand control console in the center where you kind of move your hand around to ideally steal, steer the car. It was not moving, so you couldn't use it. And then Sony had their own concept car. If you imagine Sony taking all of their tech and putting a car, it looked awesome. It looked sleek. But this is another thing that you see all these concepts. And then you realize Tesla's kind of doing all this and these concept cars look great, but they don't feel like they're light years ahead of what's out there. It feels like these concept cars are uh, maybe two or three years ahead of what Tesla's already doing. And you just see how, you just feel how advanced uh, the cars that we have today are and are only getting more advanced with, you know, more of these kind of infotainment, Alexa-enabled smart cars. That, that's another playground for technology. Another thing, Related to Apple, that really stood out of my mind is last year, TiVo showed off their planned Apple TV app, but now says that the app is in limbo. And I don't know how much, how many of you follow TiVo. I don't even know if how many of you still even use TiVo because it's kind of a a dead platform. Only because when TiVo came out, it was the cat's meow. It was the name. It was what DVRing. It was the brand name. It was like Coca-Cola is Coke. 
uh, DVRing was TiVo. But what did they do? They never innovated. I bought two of their boxes. They didn't do anything different, but they were just the DVR at the time. All they did was rested on their laurels and their patents that pay them millions of dollars for other people to use their DVR tech or patents. So there is no surprise to me whatsoever when the vice president of consumer products and services, Ted Malone from TiVo, said that while the Apple TV apps haven't been canceled, it's not TiVo's focus at this time. TiVo doesn't have a focus. I killed my membership a long time ago. TiVo is a lazy ass company who just sits on their pads and do not care about tech. At the time, if you were a tech junkie, you thought TiVo cared about tech. They don't care. They care about their patents. They were, they were expected to initially plan a release for this TiVo app to use directly on your Apple TV, Fire TV, Roku, and Android TV. At some point in 2019, well, 2019 has passed. They said uh, there are limited resources, technical challenges, and strategy changes have delayed those plans, a.k.a. they're lazy. I'm sorry, I'm not hating on the employees of TiVo. I am hating on the management and the those dudes at the top. Maybe there's dudettes that are making money and don't care because they're raking it on their pants. They're literally just sitting on their pants and they don't care. So if you ever thought that TiVo might've cared for you last year, I'm going to reiterate that they do not care. So that is not happening. Also, big thing at CES 2020, Apple made a rare appearance, but it wasn't as significant or as big of a deal as we had hoped. It had been 28 years since Apple last showed up at CES until Jane Horvath, that's their company's senior director for global privacy, appeared on a panel discussing specifically consumer privacy. And you thought this might be an interesting kind of a field of people because the panel also included Aaron Egan, a VP of public policy and chief privacy officer for policy at Facebook. Rebecca Slaughter, Commissioner at the Federal Trade Commission, and Susan Shook, Procter & Gamble's Global Privacy Offer. Instead, it didn't become a great debate or a great insight. It was just basically Apple kind of just pitching that, hey, we are the most secure platform there. They basically, you know, it, it wasn't special. There was nothing that came out of it. She just reiterated how Apple doesn't create a backdoor for your privacy out of all the companies that are here. We care the most privacy. You know, we are privacy by design. They don't, they wanted to use an example of, they even inject noise into the frequently used emoji data sets to anonymize them and process facial recognition on the Photos app on device. They also confirmed, Apple confirmed that Apple scans for child sex abuse content uploaded to iCloud. So they're using technology to help screen for child sex abuse material. But again, nothing, it was just kind of like a little, little panel of people talking about, this is how we're secure. This is how we approach privacy, but nothing came out of it. So it really was more of a PR, like Apple's coming to see us and they got what they wanted. They really got the attention. But if you notice there was not a single big story or anything that came out of their appearance 28 years since they've been to CES. So it was pretty much a dud. But it did kind of dovetail into this story that happened this week about privacy in Apple. The U.S. Attorney General 
asked Apple to unlock iPhones used by the Florida mass shooter. So if you've heard this or been reading a little bit, U.S. State's Attorney General William Barr asked Apple to help them unlock the iPhones that was used in the mass shooting last month. This is at the uh, Naval Air Station in Pensacola, Florida. So the request comes as the shooting has been declared an act of terrorism. And they have. there are many companies that ask Apple to help them unlock these phones. And Apple continuously says, we do not have a back door. Apple provides provided law enforcement officials with information from the terrorist iCloud account. Um, but of course, the two iPhones are password protected. One was actually damaged from the gunfire. And Apple has continued to take the strong position against providing access to locked phones. They don't put a back door. And it kind of creates this thing where the government continues to just say, put in a back door. And Apple's like, no. And the government wants... I can see how it might, it actually might help them. But this is a slippery slope. You give, you create a backdoor, other people are going to exploit it. It makes every Apple device vulnerable. It's just a fact. The fact that Apple themselves can't get access to it tells you volumes. But they do have certain data about where people have, you know, what some of the activity of maybe location device and things like that, but not intimate details of the message. The only way your phone's going to get unlocked is basically from one of your family members, one of your kids, one of your significant others, or someone holding their phone to your face while you open their eyes. Now, Apple had a big statement there saying how they helped law enforcement within hours of the FBI's request. They produced a wide variety of information. Um, they've continued to get legal requests and continue to provide what they can, but they maintain in their statement. We have always maintained there's no such thing as a backdoor just for the good guys. Backdoors can also be exploited by those who threaten our national security and the data security of our customers. Today, law enforcement has access to more data than ever before in history, so Americans do not have to choose between weakening encryption and solving investigations. We feel strongly encryption is vital to protecting our country and our users' data. I think this is another situation where Apple stands firm, and as a consumer, of Apple products, I, I do actually love this. And I, I continue to. I don't know how you all feel about this. You know, where do you stand on this? Do you wish, do any of you actually wish Apple put a backdoor in iOS? Do you think they even have one? I don't, I actually, I honestly believe they don't have one. I mean, this is a stance that they have stuck on for a while. It is one of their almost tent poles of who they are. And so there's no reason they would secretly put a backdoor in there. But what do you guys and gals think about this? Are you happy about Apple's hard take? Is it one of the reasons why you stick with Apple? Because a lot of you have always told me when I complain about Siri, they're like, I'd rather have Siri because it's more locked down than any other voice activated platform. I'm curious. I'm okay with using Apple as my phone and I'm okay with using other platforms that that I know I'm giving them more of my information in order to reap some of those benefits of being able to do certain things a la Amazon Echo, Google Home. So let me know what you think. You know how to do it. Applebitsshow at gmail.com. Just record your voice memo. And also, if you have any other things that you would like to talk about related to this show. All right. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Do you remember when you started your small business? Yeah, well, I do. I still feel like I'm starting it up right now at times. And it was no small feat. It took a lot of late nights 
I had early mornings and then more than the occasional all-nighter. But bottom line, you've been insanely busy ever since. So why not make things a little easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, it's intuitive, and it keeps you way more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. And I might have one that's more of like a folder with crumpled receipts. But create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. See when your clients review your invoices with the FreshBooks Notification Center. You can easily create custom invoices that have your logo and then reflect something personal like your brand colors to you know, make them look all nice and fancy. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business, so you're always gonna have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. This is huge. It takes a lot of time. Trust me, it does. So join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try for free for 30 days. There's no catch and no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash AppleBits and enter AppleBits with a Z in the how did you hear about us section to get started today. All right, we've got a couple stories before we jump into the calls. This one is kind of exciting for me, especially if you're a, I guess, a pro. Max may be getting a pro mode option to boost performance according to macOS Catalina's recent beta. So this pro mode could boost performance according to data found inside of the beta. It was released in December and 9to5Mac discovered references that this optional pro mode appears to be able to override fan speed limits and energy saving restrictions to improve performance. It says apps may run faster, but battery life may decrease and fan noise may increase when pro mode is turned on. Now, Apple has never talked about anything like this, but I I love this idea. Now, think about the do not disturb mode that we have on Max already. Pro mode would be a temporary option that you could then, you know, let's say set to turn on or off the next day after being enabled. So if I was working on something like a project, a video project, and I want to turn on that pro mode, you'd be able to flip the switch. It's likely to make sure that Macs are also running in their optimal condition. So the code found in the beta seems to suggest that this mode will be coming to the 16-inch MacBook Pro, but Mac Rumors also got an anonymous tip suggesting that the Mac Pro, the big beefy guy, will also get this pro mode option that will override the maximum f- fan speed software limits for improved thermal performance. So this is really, for me, this is really interesting to see because this would be the first time they would do that that they have ever done anything like this. A lot of times you might have hear, hear about like utilities that, oh, you can overclock your machine or boost the power. This would be built directly into Mac OS. There is no timetable of when it'll be released. We don't know if this is just something that is waiting in the wings that we may not even see until next year, Um, but it exists in the code of macOS 10.15.3's beta, and I think that uh, it's pretty exciting to know that I could, as a power user, get even more juice. Now, if you have the Mac Pro, um, that thing's a pretty damn powerful beast, even on its entry level, but, you know, sure, get as much power as possible. And I'm totally behind that. I would not even, some people don't like the idea of like, oh, the fans running, it's so loud. If let's say if it ups, bumps up my performance. So let's say to render a project out by even 20 to 25% saves me like a couple minutes. I'm, I'm completely 
down for that. Also in the Mac world, Apple filed an unreleased Mac with a model identifier of A2289 in the Eurasian Economic Commission database. Now this is the database that is notorious for giving us hints and clues for new products that Apple basically ends up releasing everything from iPads to MacBooks, uh, everything. So this computer is described as a portable Mac running macOS Catalina. And a lot of speculation is that it's possible that this specific listing and its model number corresponds to Apple's 13-inch MacBook Pro with the new scissor keyboard, right? That is the new one that they finally brought back to the 16-inch, which would be, I'm telling you, I have never thought about how annoying the keyboard is on my MacBook Pro ever since that 16-inch MacBook Pro. It has been so, I love, I love every bit of it. So there's some hope. There were rumblings that maybe this 13-inch model will actually be a 14-inch model. That remains uncertain. They also filed its rack-mounted Mac Pro, the model A2304, as coming soon on its website. So again, these are the indicators when they file with the Eurasian Economic Commission database that new products are coming. And just to back that up, I mean, the rack mount Mac Pro was just recently available as of today for purchase, starting at $6,499. So this uses the stainless steel slide rails that allow it to be slotted into a rack. This is for like more server use, high-end use, and it features the same, you know, that cool 3D grilled cheese lattice design for maximizing airflow. But Eurasian Economic Commission is a clear indicator when new stuff is coming. All right, you know what's coming now? It's time for your phone calls because I got a sh- phone calls. That sounds, your voice memos, your voice, your call-ins, your recordings. I, it's not even a phone call anymore, but let's check it out. We're going to start off with our friend Andrew who wants to talk a little bit about the smart home. Hey, Brian, this is Andrew in Sacramento. I was really glad to see the episode last week on automation. We rented a house, a big fancy house in Lake Tahoe this summer that had the automatic shades and a smart house built from the ground up. And the shades were really cool. Um, So we went and bought some uh, for our little house in Sacramento. They weren't very expensive at all. And it's totally great. You can automate to the time of day. So hopefully that uh, will catch on. Great show. Keep it up. Thanks a lot. Thanks for calling in. And, you know, uh, I do not own any smart blinds or shades. I will eventually one day. Uh, I love the idea of them. And there is a reason why they are completely sold out at Ikea everywhere, except for some reason, like this big, massive warehouse Ikea that that we have right next to us. So thanks for the call. I'm definitely excited to continue to see the smart home growing because CES showed us a lot of that and what's just capable and they're just doing everything now. We also get emails, and I want to show love to our email write-ins once in a while because I don't want to pretend like I don't see you, but Graham writes in. He says, hey, Brian, love the show. Been following you for years. I'm a Patreon supporter as well. Thank you, Graham. I just finished off the Home Automation Podcast. Cool episode. You never mentioned which specific Harmony remote you have. I just got the 950 with the Harmony Hub recently. I found a killer app that integrates with both Harmony and Siri shortcuts. So this is to kind of help some of you all that want, the Harmony Hub is this is the device and remote that allows me to literally say, 
turn on Apple TV and it turns on the input and my special and my lighting and turns the devices or if I say turn on the PlayStation 4 it turns on all those devices which is the proper input or I say watch a movie and it does all that it's amazing but it doesn't talk to the HomePod so this app that he sent me a link to this, this might help you out it's called Yo No Me Yo No Me it's spelled Y O N O M I and Graham says that with this app you can link your harmony activities to Siri shortcuts so now I can say things like Mm, Siri, watch Apple TV or hey, Siri, play Xbox One and TV and AVR, etc. all go to the right input. So if you have a hub-based remote, I think you'll really like this. It even works with the HomePod. Thanks for the show. Graham, I love it. Thank you for that knowledge. Um, That was amazing. So thank you for that. Okay, we've got another calls coming in. This one is from Jen from Australia. Hey, Brian, it's Jen from Australia. I just had two questions for you. The first one is, why are Apple making so many versions of the same iPhone? It's so confusing and completely unnecessary. I think that we should just go back to the same staple, release one phone a year. You really don't need six different versions. It just makes no sense. My second question is, do you think that they'll ever bring back Touch ID? I mean... Facial recognition is cool, but I'm kind of sick of it. I really think that we should get Touch ID back, whether it be on the screen, under the screen, or at the back of the phone, just like the Google Pixel. I feel like we really need to bring that back. Anyways, that's it from me. Thank you, and like to hear your thoughts. Bye. All right, Jen, thank you so much for calling. Before um, I get to the answers, of your questions. I just want to send out all my love and thoughts to Australia with all the fires, which is just to me, obviously an animal nature lover, just completely catastrophic and horrible. So just sending the good juju and good love over to all of you in Australia and also others that are listening. I know we got a regular call of Burham out there, um, but I know that the Aussies represent for the Apple Bits XL. So I just want to send my love. Um, Jen, before, so the first question about why doesn't Apple just make one model? I've been asking them to do that, but I also understand why they're doing it. And it's pretty simple, you know? Mm-hmm. One more. Yeah, I, I could play that for probably the next 10 minutes if I wanted to. It's all about the cha-ching, the cheddar. I mean, Tim Cook is the supply chain Guru, he understands margins. He knows how to squeeze every bit of money from us. And quite honestly, if you are the if you are the iPhone, if you have the iPhone, and you only made one single model, which I still prefer, but if you, as a business, well, there's going to be people at different price points that can't afford that or won't get that. And the you know maybe argument is, oh, make a more affordable iPhone. Well, Apple's not going to do that. Instead. They have the resources to make an iPhone at every level from basically, what, around $300 from an old one all the way up to a $1,000 to $1,200 phone, which makes sure that no matter where you are financially, somewhere, if you are locked into the ecosystem and you started in the ecosystem, you will buy an iPhone. And that's why there's so many people that are on Apple and they do love and enjoy it and sometimes they don't, but it's pure business, baby. It is pure business. Um. The other question about bringing back Touch ID, I miss it. I've been a big proponent of Touch ID. I'm a, I miss 3D Touch still even, where you push into the screen. Apple's going to do it. It All signs point to that 
they will be bringing it. And even a recent patent from Apple showed off that their Touch ID uh, button on the new 16-inch MacBook Pro is using a different type of technology that could basically be integrated directly into touching a screen. And so that tells me that, and what I'm saying is it doesn't need its own little module. It, It could just work through a screen. So what I'm trying to say is that it's coming, but if you look at the implementation, at least on Samsung's flagship phones, the Galaxy 10, they do have fingerprint sensing. They do have some sort of face authorization. It's not the same as Apple's, but their fingerprint sensing can can be a little slower, at least when done directly through the screen. So whether it's Apple believes in face ID, which I know they do, but I think eventually we will see a fingerprint scanner as long as it's pretty speedy and at least up to par with what Face ID is. I always felt Touch ID was way more reliable for me. They always said, oh, Touch ID is not as secure because no one has your face, but we've seen anecdotally that people's phones can be more easily unlocked by relatives or someone that kind of looks like them versus a fingerprint scanner. You know, I didn't see anyone have their family, friend, or relative be able to unlock their phone directly through Touch ID from their fingerprint. So either way, Touch ID will be coming in some way, shape, or form. You know, I don't know if it'll be this year. My hunch is probably not, but maybe in the next two years or so. So thanks for calling, Jen. And again, much love to Australia. All right, here we go. Alex uh, wants to call in a couple questions himself. Hey, Brian, this is Alex from San Jose. I got two questions for you. Do you know if iCloud is going beyond two terabytes of storage? Uh, My wife takes tons of videos of my kid, and so we're running out of space. Uh, Second is, do you know if Touch ID is coming to the desktops? Thanks. Bye. All right, Alex. First question is, honestly, I do not know if Apple is going to offer more iCloud storage. You know, Google goes up to something like 20 or 30 terabytes. I know you have to pay for it, but they at least offer the option. I think you you remind me of one of my friends who takes like a ton, not only a ton of pictures of his daughter, but a ton of pictures of his dog. It was like ridiculous, ridiculous amounts of dog photos. I think the dog's name is like Mochi or something like that. But no, I actually don't know if Apple's looking to do that. I think they absolutely should. Even if they just bumped up to a 10 terabyte option, it would be better. Two terabytes does fill up pretty fast. Uh, as for your Touch ID for Macs, now there is no patent or any rumblings that Apple will do anything. I'm guessing this is specifically looking for some sort of Touch ID solution for an iMac and a Mac Pro because obviously you have it on your MacBook Pros for the most part. Now, Apple is not really tackling this, but there was an app back in the day called uh, Mac ID, but I looked it up and it's been changed and updated to the name Unlocks. It's U-N-L-O-X. And what it does is you install it on your phone. There's also an Apple Watch app and then you install it on your Mac and it basically allows however you authenticate, whether it's Face ID or through you know um, authentication with your Apple Watch allows it to unlock your Mac so if that's something that you're looking for, um, it might be a solution. It is a third-party solution. Um, just checked, I just checked it out because I had to look it up. The app itself has 4.3 out of 5 stars, 774 rating. So it's it's pretty solid. I haven't used it myself, but I remember Mac ID way a, a while back. But this one is called Unlocks. It is kind of refreshed and graduated that. Worth checking out, maybe $399, or you could just type in your passcode or do a shorter passcode 
and wait till maybe Apple integrates Touch ID somehow in Apple's uh, Magic Keyboard. That that would be the wireless keyboard. That would be the day that that happens for you. So unfortunately, nothing really right now. All right, next up, Ricky. Hey, Brian, this is Ricky from Seattle. I really appreciate the work you put into the podcast. A question for you. Why does the iMac not get any love? It seems Apple is ignoring the consumer desktop space. The iMac hasn't seen a significant redesign in many years. Even Apple tech writers don't talk about the iMac anymore. Uh, Given the resources Apple has, doesn't it seem like they could offer a new design if they wanted to? Just uh, wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, Thanks and keep up the good work. All right, Ricky. The answer is, could they to upgrade the iMac and do a redesign? Yes, they could. And maybe 2020 is the year we finally see a refresh design. My hunch, at the very least, we'll get some of the speed and performance that they've thrown into their latest machines. The iMac Pro itself, although it didn't get a complete cosmetic design, it got a new color. It packed a whole bunch of power. So I'm okay with that. And the reality is that Apple isn't selling that many Macs when we talk about desktops in general. In fact, a recent report just said that, again, for another quarter, Macs are declining in sales. And so, look, they're going to focus on their bread and butter. We clearly see their focus is on mobile devices. It's on laptops. It's on iPhones. It's on Apple Watch. It's on AirPods. Something's going to suffer. For a long time, the Mac Pro suffered, but there was such a backlash that finally they did something about it. I don't think there's as large of a backlash because the iMac is a consumer product. They have the pro product. It is honestly a really great product. It just hasn't had a new facelift or redesign. And so maybe we see it, but the only reason I'm saying it's not a priority is because they're doing so many other things. And also the product isn't one of their big growth categories. So will we see a revamp this year? It's either going to happen this year or next year, obviously. The the design has been out for a while. But from an actual spec, hardware, and functionality standpoint, uh, I don't think they need to do much. I think the most exciting thing or future for the iMac is the fact that Apple now has this XDR display that, yes, is ridiculously expensive. But over time, that tech will get cheaper. Over time, they might put one in an iMac Pro machine as an all-in-one, and that's where you'll see some of that innovation, but from the consumer side, not too much on the iMac, and we'll see what happens in 2020. Anything could happen with that, and uh, I hope that we do see something. All right, our last call comes to us from another Alex. Hey, Brian, this is Alec from West Palm Beach. I'm wondering if we'll ever see more affordable MacBooks that are in the 13 to 15 inch range that don't cost an arm and a leg, don't do all the high-end production work that the current pros do, and would simply uh, give us alternatives to what the PCs are out there at a less-than-premium price. Any help on this or your thoughts would be appreciated. Keep up the good work. All right. um, So I know you said Alec and your email said Alex. So I don't know if this is a potato-potato thing, but I hope you didn't think I got your name wrong. But thanks for calling in. Uh, well, you know what, your your question, in a way, kind of answered it when you said, you know, without a premium price. And 
The reality is that Apple will always see themselves as a premium brand. Remember, Phil Schiller recently basically put a, took out a huge dig at Google Chromebook saying, oh, students learn better with, uh, was it students learn better with iPads or students learn better with MacBook Pros? Either way, he outright said that if you have a Chromebook, your students don't learn as well or as effectively. Okay, fine. Maybe depending on the discipline, there is some small truth to that, but the reality is that if you're just doing word processing and writing and looking at things in the internet, a Chromebook is not going to change that versus any other device. But Apple looks in that indication of him to even say that and fire some shots for really no reason other than to be petty tells you the psychology of how Apple feels that they're a premium brand. And when you think you're a premium brand, you're not going to make a product at a non-premium price. So if we ever, the thing that Apple has typically done and what tends to work over time, if you look at their iPhone model, they sell iPhones from three or four years back and their lower prices. And, you know, if you want the latest and greatest from Apple, you're not going to get it at a non-premium price. But I can tell you, you buy a laptop, even something like a regular MacBook for from like two years ago, you'll easily get under $1,000 and it'll last you if you're just into just the basic fundamental stuff. You'll be able to do it. But again, we will at least anytime soon. How about this? In the next five to 10 years, we will never see a sub $799 laptop from Apple, if not ever. And so I hope I didn't shatter your dreams but it's just not going to happen. That's just not that's just not how they do things and you know they they have become more flexible over time with the iPhone, but that's more because they're allowing older models to be sold at a lower price. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Uh because I just came back from CES, hold on your butts, we will have another episode with uh, the latest Apple news this week uh most likely dropping on Friday. So look out for that. But thanks again. Got to show love to all of my platinum Apple supporters from Patreon, Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Frader, Jarrett Lewis, and Calvin Fatakar. Thank you so much. That's the $100 level. You can support at any level starting at $2, 5 10 25 different rewards, benefits, and of course, completely ad-free version of the show. But this allows me to continue to not only do this podcast, but all my other content as well. So I thank you for all that support, and I'm so grateful. But that's going to do it for this week, everybody. Tune in, I guess, Friday? Yeah, we'll say Friday. We'll be back with another episode. But that's going to do it for the Apple Bits XL, baby. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.